Habits are who we are, and we get to choose every day who that is. What's remarkable about these women is that their habits are changing the world. Hi, and welcome to Habits, the good, the bad, and the holy. I'm Molly, and I'm sitting down every week with adorers of the Blood of Christ Religious Sisters to hear their stories and learn how habits have become more than a symbol for their vocation. They've become the means to which they change lives. Hi, and welcome. Today we're here with Sister Margaret Canover. Margaret, welcome. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. You're welcome. So you are... Uh, pretty well known uh, in the ASCs. You've been called a trailblazer. Um, Specifically, you were featured in an article on the Newman University website where you were called a trailblazer and talked about the incredible hunt you went on for education. Can you talk about um, a little bit of your time spent uh, getting the, the depth and breadth of education you have? My story began with my life on the farm. I was one of six children. My father died when the youngest was only six weeks old. And my mother stayed on the farm. She didn't do the field work. Her brother did that. But she took care of milking the cows and feeding the chickens and doing the garden, and I love to do that with her. My two sisters like to cook, and I hated to cook, so I was outside. So you learned responsibility really early, that there were things to be done always. Do you think that that led you down the well, path to be? could be, and also I like to be, I would do something that maybe others wouldn't do, like... The Catholic school didn't have a band or music, so we could join the grade school band after, and it was held after school hours with public school. And I asked my mother if I could do that, and she says, yes, but you'd have to walk home. Well, I was willing to walk the mile and a half home because I wanted to play, in, and I got a clarinet, I learned then in grade school already, so when I went to the academy, most freshmen were in a beginner's band, and I was, at Christmas time, took first chair in the major band, and, and uh, you know, concert band. Wow. So... So excellence has been your partner through life from a very young age. I will, and yes, and... I just had the opportunity and was willing to take what went with it. Like, you were you know, willing to put in the work to get the result you wanted. Uh-huh. And so it never crossed your mind, you know, through any of your schooling or through any of your education, that it would be too hard. You just, you knew exactly what needed to be done. I can tell you a story about that, too. Yes. I was in the first grade with 27 of us. Mm-hmm. I ranked 17, so I was toward the bottom of the class. Mm -hmm. When I was a third grader, we were learning our times tables, and we would go on the board and and write these down. And I decided I could beat the fast one, and I was going to, that's one day I decided that. And sure enough, I beat Mary Jane Hines. I like that you still remember her name. I do. I do. (laughs) And from then on out, 
I was never last in the class. It, I think the bug bit you. I think you knew, <laughs> you learned what it was like to be on top, and you haven't been anything else since then. But that was early on. Early on that bit you. <laughs> <laughs> I started out, as many of we sisters in those times, teaching with a 60-degree certificate. So I started teaching grade school, grammar school. For the first three years, I had four grades, the first four grades plus music. I was able to play the organ. I enjoyed playing the clarinet when I was in high school. So I kind of had a feel for music and always was assigned to do the music for the liturgy, for the church, as well as for school purposes. So that was my beginning. I was happy teaching grammar school in a small schools, and then in Wichita, at, where I had 64 children in a room made for 36. Wow, that must and have been chaotic. mostly fifth graders plus a, a small section of sixth graders. And I was happy doing all that, going to summer school to finish my degree in education. One summer, I got an assignment that said I was to go to Creighton and take a chemistry class. Had you always been interested in science, or was this a new love for you? Uh, it was kind of a, ingrained in my family. I have a brother who got a chemistry major, a sister who was a med tech, no, in fact, two sisters who were med techs. So we were kind of in at home in the science field. It definitely ran in the family. Right. So I got my first course in chemistry. Uh, I was told to continue there during one year. Then I was told, well, you can't get your doctorate here. Apply to Notre Dame. Wow. Which I did. They accepted me and gave me... Uh, a scholarship because I was one of the younger sisters that ever applied for graduate work. So how old were you and what year was this? I was maybe 31, 1960, mm. when I was asked to take that first course in chemistry. So I was born in 31, so I would have been, what, 29? Yes, ma'am. And... You were one of 65 women who attended Notre Dame through that graduate program. Do you remember how many men were in that program? Uh, no, because Notre Dame was all men except for us 65 sisters. Yeah, you, you were time. 65 out of 8,000 men. Uh-huh. That's incredible. Do you remember what that was like to be one of the first women to be able to do something like that? Well... We kind of stayed together. We had our apartments, townhouses, a little off campus, so we weren't where the young guys were ordinarily. Uh, we used the open guest cafeteria for our eating. So you couldn't eat with the men? We didn't. We didn't really. Mm -hmm. No, they had their dining room. Yeah. <laughs> this is a little offside. <laughs> One day, they decided to cut the size of the glasses down for their milk. Why? Well, I guess they were 
wanting to limit the amount of milk <laughs> these guys, these 8,000 kids drank. So they and, cut the glasses now? And what the kids did, they drank their glass of milk and dropped the glasses on the concrete floor. They broke all the glasses? <laughs> oh, they, did. they did. Oh, my land. They got their way. <laughs> and did you ever feel like the men felt some type of way about the fact that women were being allowed in or were no, they welcoming to you? No, they, we were two different groups. We were, so you never We were graduates. They were undergrads. Mm, okay. So, so, no, we very seldom crossed paths. Okay. So you went to Notre Dame and got a degree in what? Organic chemistry. Organic chemistry. You're smiling. You love it. I did. I loved it. And I did some research that was difficult. And in fact, it took me two years to get my first quantitative data. Wow. And I said every my director, world-renowned, was also chair of the department. So he was down in the office. We were expected to report our progress every month. So we had to type out everything we did as research data and progress. And so I remember it was like April of the second year of my research that I first got a quantitative number and I said something to him. And he said, oh, you're doing fine. I wasn't so sure at Christmas, but I know now you're doing fine. But I knew what he was referring to. There was a senior postdoc from New South Wales, Australia. And he told me he was going to tell my director that my project was too difficult for a graduate student. Wow. So you showed him. So I knew that background. So when he says, I wasn't sure at Christmas, but I know now. So that, that postdoc told your advisor that the project was too hard for you. Uh-huh. Well, you showed and them, didn't went, you? Well, and he would go to Peru because he could speak Spanish as well as English and German. Uh, and he would teach there at summertime. So, and I, every week, would mail my work to him. And one time he fired back, do you know what you have? Well, I didn't know what I had. What did you have? Uh, I got the confirmational analysis of the 1,3-dioxane T-butyl substituents. And they go from what is described as a boat confirmation to a chair confirmation. And for someone who does not understand anything that you just said, what does that mean? It means you study how much the molecule prefers to be like a boat Mm -hmm. or like a chair. Interesting. And it flips back and forth. Oh, that's neat. It predominantly stays in one or the other. And this one with the T-butyl group was 97% in one confirmation. Interesting. So... Hi, everyone. Molly here. For those of you who are confused at the 
organic chemistry lingo and are wondering why this is such an important discovery, the determination of whether a molecule looks like a boat or a chair helps determine why certain chemicals interact differently. Uh, It describes the stability and what reactions they might have. This is important because it shows why some molecules that look the same behave differently. Okay, I hope that clears it up a little. Now back to the interview. So you were lauded for the methodical approach that you took to research. And you said that it had a lot to do with the fact that you were a woman and there weren't many women doing research at that time. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's right. In the sciences, there were five of us. Just five. Just five. And Dr. Elio was on the probably board of trustees as well as the advisory, whatever it is. He went to the officials, the administration, to say, we need to have women because based on what women do compared to how men do things, we need the the touch of the woman or the women in doing research. Wow. And it was right after that they they went co-ed. So you are quite the trailblazer. You kind of took a passion in your hand and did whatever it took to prove that that you were good at it. Well, I was lucky. Oh, I think it was a lot more than luck. Yes, and I enjoyed it very much. My Dr. Elio was a German-born Jew Mm. who knew persecution During the Second World War, he was, um, I guess, I don't want to call it in prison, but anyhow. Oh, in a concentration camp? No, he was, so he wouldn't be in the concentration camp and would have lost his life. He was 17 years old and he was in a camp in Canada with the prisoners. And he said there was one water pump for like 3,000 men. Wow. So he knew struggle and he knew strife. And that gifted him with empathy and grace that let you have a space to create that way. And after that, he he couldn't go back to Germany, of course. Mm. And he couldn't get into the States. So he went to Cuba and he was there five years, learned Spanish and got a doctor of science. Mm. He was very bright and very talented so and I was very fortunate to have such wonderful experiences so you did something pretty amazing with that chemistry degree you created something at Newman University didn't you I was sent there with the purpose of coming back and establishing a chem major. So you are the entire reason there is a chemistry degree at Newman University. Well, and I wasn't there very long. <laughs> you, were, you made quick work of it. Early on, I had a slight belt bout of MS, mm-hmm. but it was kind of fleeting, and I recovered. Now, I had another... About and I was hospitalized. I came back and, well, there was only one other chemistry teacher and I couldn't carry my load mm. of 14 hours. I couldn't stand on the concrete. So the dean 
said, either you do it or you're out of here. So I had to resign. Wow. So, that so you're was... the reason it started and they made you resign. <laughs> well, that's, you know, when you're in business, yeah, that's the way it goes. So that was the end of my chemistry. But you taught at Newman for a few years not in really, chemistry. Uh, yes, but not very long, see. I have a quote from one of your students. Uh, saying that you were a demanding teacher with a high bar to reach, but had the ability to show you where the ladder was and how to use it. That's pretty great praise from a student. Uh, Did you love teaching as much as you loved learning? I did, and I loved teaching organic chemistry because there was an unpredictable sense that, and I always taught them this, what you have could catch fire. I wanted them to know right up front with the flammable ethers and alcohols, they could have a fire. Kept them prepared. Uh-huh. Uh, so after you left teaching, you were an alumni director for a while, and then you were elected to leadership. Yes. What position did you hold on I leadership? one of the counselors. One of the counselors. Um what was that like going from, because you joined when you were 22 years old. You took final vows when you were 22 years old, um, which can seem inconceivable to a lot of women today who are 22 years old, um, dedicating their life to something. And then that was in 1955. So 40, only 35 years later. You were elected to leadership. What was that like? I was a part of a team. And so we worked as a team. Mm-hmm did a lot of sharing among ourselves. We had a person who taught us how to be team, mm. how, how to reflect and discern, and come not by vote, but by discernment okay. to decisions. So we had that preparation, which made time more enjoyable. Yeah. And so they were good years. So you've done a lot in your life, you've had a pretty remarkable life. What is the, what's your favorite thing? What's the best thing you've ever done? Ooh, I would have a hard time choosing. Now there's one mother, one other big project I did. Okay. And that's direct the pastoral ministry program for the Dodd City Diocese, which was, there would be one teacher and there were like 10 classrooms in 10 different cities. And they were all connected by interactive TV. Oh, wow. And that was all you? You made that happen? I directed that. I was not a theology faculty, so I didn't teach any of the courses. But yes, I found the faculty. So I did that until I turned 70. So you you went to Dodge City and you saw that there was a need for this program, and you just whipped it all up and put it together. There was another sister who had her degree in theology, Mm. and she was the one who developed the program that way. And then I just found the faculty to teach the courses. Okay. So most of them were from the diocese Mm -hmm. there. And what kind of impact did that have on the students? These were all adults now, and it made a difference in their personal life and in their parish life 
and in the diocese. So you really gave them access to that spiritual fulfillment that they were craving. That's right. Wow. That's right. And some of them talk about it even now. Wow. And one of the faculty, one of the most creative faculty, keeps in touch. I, We share Christmas and Easter cards. Oh. So it still to this day reverberates. That seems to be a theme for you. You mentioned earlier telling your organic chemistry students that the things they're working on can catch fire, literally, but it seems that everything you touched along the way caught fire figuratively. The (laughs) chemistry program at Newman is still running and churning out chemistry students. You still have a profound impact in integrating women into Notre Dame, um, integrating women into science research, bringing the ITV program to Dodge City. Um, So I think everything you did caught fire too. Well, I hope so. And there are a couple other things. I organized four faculty in the various divisions or disciplines to be the core faculty for the pre-med program. So you created the pre-med program at Newman? Well. Well, yeah. (laughs) You're so modest about it, but you did it all. (laughs) Just kind of organized that Mm -hmm. so it could flourish. Okay. So, yes. So education has been obviously a love of yours, a passion project of yours, something you've dedicated the majority of your life to. What did you think when an anonymous donor made a gift of $25,000 to establish a scholarship in your name at Newman? Well, I'm humbled and very happy, very grateful and I pretty well know who the person is. So maybe not so anonymous to you. Not so anonymous to me. Uh, she's someone who got her degree at Newman in chemistry, went on to Colorado. So what I mean, what does that mean to you to have been a foundation on which something so remarkable was created? Well, that just warms my heart because that means there's money available for new people, for more young people. Yeah. So, yes. The When the gift was made, this was written along with it, citing a great respect for you and a desire to recognize the high level of energy and enthusiasm you brought to your work at Newman. Um, they noted your love of life, happiness with your religious life, and commitment to students and ability to help them realize their full potential. Yes. I will accept that. (laughs) I'll accept that. Um, But isn't that beautiful if somebody would say such nice things? I think it's incredible. But I think your entire life has been. I mean, I think this is just a testament to the the seed you planted long ago, um, you know, when you were 22 and just starting. You've obviously had a very remarkable life. We've heard a lot about your life and some of your habits, that you are very deliberate with your research. You've dedicated huge parts of your life to education and helping students. What would you say your best habit is? I would say out of all of that comes this deep gratitude for what God has given me Mm. and what I could do with what 
gifts God has given me. Yeah. So it's it's a matter of gratitude. Do you have any bad habits? I guess I'm sometimes come across as bossy. I don't think you're bossy. I think you are the boss. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed visiting with you. I'm so glad. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and behind the scenes, check out our website, adorers.org. Habits is brought to you by the Adorers of the Blood of Christ, U.S. Region. Co-produced by Cheryl Wittenauer, Lori Benge, and Molly McKinstry. Edited by Molly McKinstry. Thanks. We'll see you all next week.